Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. Hello, my name is Chris Dolman, and today we'll be hearing from Mto Nanga, who is originally from South Africa and the Nhosa tribe. Mto has worked extensively with uh, children and families from refugee communities here in Australia. In today's episode, we'll be hearing about some of the practices he draws on in his work with children to support their mental health and social emotional well-being in ways that reflect both cultural competency as well as curiosity. Uh, yeah, so thanks again, Mto, for your time and generosity today. As I've mentioned, again, we're really interested in hearing about your work with children and families. Uh, Mto, if you could tell us a bit about your service and your role there as a starting point. Yeah, so I work for STARS, which is Survivors of Torture and Trauma and, and Rehabilitation Services. Uh, we support people from a refugee background, people who have experienced torture and trauma. My role is specifically with children and families. So I look after two programs, which is the Child and Youth Program and the Intensive Family Program. So within the Child and Youth Program, we have four counsellors who are doing work in schools and uh, we also do home visits, also do some counselling as well in the offices. So we also do group programs at school in schools. Um, we do holiday school, ho school holidays programs as well. How do these families, children and families, find their way to your service? So for us, we get referrals from schools, from other services, like um, other practitioners, and um, sometimes get referrals from youth justice. So we get a variety of referrals. Could you um, speak a bit about how you begin to work with children then? So you get a referral from, from a school. How does it happen from there with your yes. service? So we have two approaches. One, we have a program that uh, we called in-school residence. So we have a counsellor who would be in a school. And in, what they do in school, they, list, I mean, they would have maybe a caseload of three young people from the school. And uh, they will work with the school to process any referrals that are within the school. They also serve as a consultant of some sort within the school where if a teacher, for example, is finding it difficult to work with this young pe person or they don't know how to respond to a certain behavior, then they can consult with our counselor. That is the one stream of uh, dealing with referrals. And then the second one is where the schools or the doctors or youth justice, they send us uh, referrals via our intake coordinator. We will have uh, an assessment done. So we will distribute their names to counsellors and then we go into assessments. So how we do an assessment is uh, we do it in two folds. One we, with a young person and secondly with a family. The idea is that we want to understand the context holistically and to see also if the parents have an understanding of what is actually happening with a child. And if sometimes they do have an understanding, we want to also understand their understanding as to whether is it the same understanding that the young person has about what is actually happening with them? And also from the child's perspective as well, we try to make sure that we understand the child that understands their situation from their perspective and also find out if they have a perception of the parent's pers perspective of the situation. Then that gives us a 
broad understanding of the situation when we deal with the child. And then, and then on top of that, we also consult with the school if the school made a referral and to see their understanding of the situation for the young person. How do you um, begin to, you know, in those first conversations with children, then, yes. you know, how do you begin to engage with them, like you yes. and your team? Yeah, how does that work? Most often, young people, because we work with young people from 5 to 25, the younger children might not understand fully what it means to come for counselling, but they will understand that we have someone who's going to support me. So what we normally do is start off by creating a rapport with them by doing some drawings. Now, with those drawings, we can get to see what is happening in their world through drawings, yeah. Do you prompt them in terms of what you ask them to draw? No, for the first time we just let them draw, just for the fun of drawing, and then that helps us to understand how comfortable are they with certain things and what are the things that are interesting for them. And then we can work from there. When you say work from there, what, what do you mean? How do you use yeah. those drawings? For example, if, if we see that a child is drawing uh, graphic material, then we, that raises uh, questions for us and then we can start thinking about, okay, is there any situation that is linked with these drawings or have you had an experience that you can say these drawings uh, refer to or relate to? And then the child may say yes. I'll give you an example when I saw, a, saw twins from um, Nepal. So the twins drew a church and a cross and then they drew some kind of a ghosty things. That kind of drew my attention. He said, oh, what is actually happening here? Can you tell me more about what's happening here? He said, oh, here, when I was back home, I used to, I saw a lot, I mean, bodies, dead bodies going along the creek. And we would always have uh, times where we see people going to the church for the funeral. And then uh, he also said, uh, with these dead bodies that went to the, to the, along the, the river, that some of them, we didn't know what happened with them. And then I also tried to find from them, I said, what, when, when do you get this? Um, wh wh why is this important? Say, oh, when I'm asleep, sometimes I'm awake because of these uh, pictures. So then that kind of led me to understand what is actually happening. So when I thought of nightmares, then I can see what has actually happened and what led to that. For example, in this situation, it was easy to find out what happened with a child. But at the same time, I had some more questions to ask, which led me to understand why they were getting those nightmares. It dawned as I asked more questions that these kids were watching uh, horror movies. And with those horror movies, then when they go to bed, what the brain remembers is what they were scared of back home. And then uh, when they present here with nightmares and stuff like that, it presents something that happened in the past, not necessarily what they watched on the movie. What was, that was interesting for me. We responded, I mean, I responded by suggesting that maybe, mom, let's look at reducing the screen time and the content of the screen and see if we can see some changes. And within two weeks, there, was, there were changes, yeah. Kids stopped having problems with nightmares and being scared to go to the toilet at night, yeah. So this was a conversation that you kind of continued with the parents, did you, with the yes. mother of these, so these twins? Once the kids told me 
I mean, once I saw the pictures and had a conversation with the kids, the next step was to talk to the parents. I also involved the class teacher because the class teacher was going to help us to give them books that were relevant, age relevant for them, so that when we say take away screen, we don't just take away screen in a punitive way, we replace it with something that is full of fun as well. So they are not losing in the process, yeah. What would you say you're kind of listening for in those early conversations? What I'm looking for in the early conversation is what is important to the child in relation to what I've been told about the situation about the child because I want to hear the child's understanding of what is actually happening with them. Why is that important for you to really seek that out? Yeah, because um, when we look at situations, most of the time we are informed by what we think about what the situation might be and sometimes not informed by the person's perspective. So when we get the person's perspective, it helps us to come up with a proper and more relevant um, approach to deal with the situation because it's their experience in as much as we have an, an understanding of what could be happening. Mm. Yeah. Are there ways you found helpful to kind of bring what you're understanding from the child into that conversation with the parent? As I've said with the child, we want to understand the situation from their perspective. We also want to get the parent's perspective. But on top of it, we also want to see the parents' skills in dealing with the situation because that is important. Most often you find out parents say that there are behaviours that they don't like about children and they understand that this has to do with probably what happened in the past and then their approach would be, look, you have to forget this. You know, this is not helping you. So that approach wouldn't be the best for the kid. So you want to make sure that you have an understanding of the parents' understanding of the situation and their perspective on how to deal with the situation. And then from there, you get to learn what the parents know about the situation and how they probably have dealt with these things in their culture. And then you can then work from there. So, okay, this approach, maybe it, it, it worked well for certain situations. Let's see if it works for this situation and then let's maybe add some more things that might build on what we are doing so that we can make sure that we give the best for the child. Mm. Is that an important position for you to take, a sense of building on what the parent's doing? Is it in that yeah. sense? Yeah, it is important because in as much as I might come with some understanding that is that we call expertise, uh, the wisdom of the parents is significant because they will be with those children every day. I will only see the child once a week. So building on their wisdom will help them to have confidence in this new information. If you do away with their wisdom, then the bridge will be so wide and it will be very hard for the parents to adjust to this new information. But if you build on what they have already, that helps them to move and also to own it, you know, they own it and feel like I'm growing instead of being cut off from my child's experience. Mm. When you think about this concept of the parent's wisdom, like how do you think about that when working with parents from a cultural background different to your own? Yes. Like, does that evoke for you lots of different things? <laughs> yes, it, I, I come from a culture where we, 
we look at things differently. Like for example, I was talking to my colleagues this week about how in English you talk about an uncle. And uh, an uncle in English means your mom's brother or your dad's brother. Whereas in my culture, in my language specifically, we have a different way, a name for my uncle from my mother's side and a different name for my uncle from my father's side. And that informs the culture as well. For example, we might, I might say um, to my colleagues at work, oh look, you work as if you are in your uncle's place. What I mean by that, if you were in your mother's brother's place, you would be spoiled. Whereas if I were to say it in general in English, what does that mean? You know? Whereas in my culture, it has some richness about it because your mom's brother is expected to spoil the sister's children. Not spoil in a negative way, but they must feel like there is a safe space for me at my uncle's place. Whereas with my father's brothers, that expectation is not that high culturally. So when it comes to the wisdoms of the parents then, I always have that in mind that culture is deep and people do things because of the cultural background. For example, the approach that the parent might use here, it might have worked well in where they come from because of the support system that they might have there that is culturally informed. Whereas when they come into an individualistic society, that approach might not work well. Hence, it's important to acknowledge their wisdom, but at the same time, acknowledge that there might be some limitations of that wisdom in this situation without um, discrediting their wisdom, yeah. You said before, culture is deep, you know, I was wondering if you could say a bit more about that concept of culture being deep. Yes, uh, it's, it's deep in the sense that there are certain things that we take for granted in culture. For example, for a person to speak in their language, it is important in the sense that it opens the areas of their thinking that they otherwise wouldn't be able to open when you give them that opportunity to go back into their culture. For example, if I were to talk about um, something that happens to me, in my language, when I look at my language, there are aspects of uh, nature that helps me to say things in my language, which in English I cannot say. For example, I can talk about something that has to do with a certain tree, and when I think about that from my language, that connects me with a certain part of my life and a certain time in my life. So when I talk about that, it takes me away from here, but at the same time, it keeps me here so that I own what is happening in my life. Yeah. So it's deep in that sense that it's not just something that needs to be taken light. I think that is very important that when you deal with someone, you allow them to get to where they will feel comfortable. And that could be language. For example, I, I'm working with a young person now. On my assessment, I went to see him at school and I also saw mom, but I first saw mom before I saw him. So when I was talking to mom, I said, mom, oh, I'm happy to organize an interpreter for you. And she said, oh, can you hear me? And I said, yeah, I can hear you perfectly. And she said, oh, and she smiled. She was happy about that. And I thought this is significant. So I said, okay, I would like you to talk to me in English because I can hear you. I don't hear anything. I mean, I don't, have, I don't see any problem with your speaking. However, when you feel like you don't understand me, 
or you feel like you can't express yourself fully, you, have, you feel like you can express yourself broader than what you are doing in English, let me know, we'll get an, a, a telephone interpreter. And she said, okay, that's good. You could see that she was so happy that her ability to speak English was acknowledged. To me, that was important. I was willing to get an interpreter for her because that is a, it's a role for our organization that we make sure that people get interpreted. But in that situation, it was important for me to allow her to own the situation. So up to now, when I speak with her, she speaks in English. And I always ask her, did you understand everything? If you want, can get a telephone interpreter to explain this. Like, no, no, I got you, I got you. So it, in, to me, it's important to acknowledge, it, it, that's, that's culture again, because her experience of leaving her home country and coming to a new country uh, is full of many things. One of the things is the loss of the country, loss of um, being uh, known as someone in their country. And she was a teacher by profession. So when I heard her saying, oh, can you hear my English? To me, that was important, meaning that somewhere she was told that we couldn't hear you. So for her to, hear, to be heard and to feel like she can do this, it was important. I thought, let's give her the right to do so. In that situation, or in others that you've spoken about, where you're meeting with a child or with a parent from a different cultural background, to your own, to what extent is it important to understand something about that culture prior to meeting with the person? Do you have a position or a view on that? Yeah, I, I do have a broad position about it. it. It is important to know because when you know when, when, when you know something about someone, it helps them to feel that it's not about what you hear about but it's about them that you are concerned. Because we come, when we come as practitioners, we come kind of in business terms. So the feeling of being a client, sometimes is not what people come for, for when they come for a service. They come for a relationship that will help her to deal with things that are happening in her life. And I think that's very much important. At the same time, it is important not to think too much about the culture when you first see the person, even though you know about the person's culture. Give the person a room to afford. For example, if you meet someone for the first time, it's important to hear from them. For example, if they are from Iran, it could be that this person is not necessarily from Iran, but they ran and they escaped to Iran. And then when they got to Iran, they were ill-treated there. Now, when you assume that because they, in your referral, they said they're from Iran, and then you start to talk positively about Iran. When their experience was negative, that is not a good thing to experience. Yeah. So rather than assuming, what would you say you do as part of your practice? So what I, what I do, I, I would always tell the person that this is the information I have, and then I would like to hear from them. And then when I hear from them, the knowledge I have about whatever country I have, then I can share to show that. For example, if I, I meet someone who's from Afghanistan and they, are in, they came from Iran, when they talk about that to me, I'll say, yeah, and I heard that, um, for example, they, after they've told me, I said, yeah, it, it's been a journey for you. And I understand that some people tend to talk about negative experience about Iran. And um, I hope that was not the case for you 
let's see how we can work together from here going forward. Mm. What's your intention in, in saying that sort of thing to them? Like, what is it you're wanting them to understand or experience from you speaking in those terms? It, it's important for people to know that they are not, I mean, as I've said before, that business relationship can interfere with what the person has come for. So it's important for them to understand that we are not only here to hear about their, the bad stories, but when our understanding of their bad, so, bad stories, we are interested in them for the benefit of what is going to happen going forward. And uh, that is crucial because it's not just kind of a gossip thing where we want to hear about you, but our understanding of what happened, it's well known and uh, we kind of sympathize with you. Mm. What suggestions might you give practitioners who are not so familiar with working with families from a cultural background different to their own? first point I would suggest is that get to know yourself as a practitioner and what informs your practice in the sense that if, for example, you are informed by the passion for human rights, also be aware as to what informs that. And um, that's the first thing, knowing yourself. And then secondly, knowing about other people, uh, the culture, their culture, it's significant. However, what informs you about that knowledge as well, it's so significant. So you have to have layers and layers of thinking about it. And then also be aware of your education, because uh, if you bring your education at the expense of acknowledging the wisdom that the people that you are working with have some knowledge and wisdom that they can teach you, you might miss the point because you can come as someone who's high up and because they are too low to you, you might not get to them. Yeah, so it, it's very much important. Is that part of what you meant by getting to know yourself as well? Yes. That sense? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's key to know yourself and, and know what drives you to do this. For example, um, for me, what makes me passionate about young people, it's my experience as a young person. I had a conflict with my dad and when I look back, I can say if there was someone who could talk to me at that point in time, because when I look back and say I wanted to be a doctor and my dad wanted me to go and get the cattle and sheep. So those two conflicting worlds could have been worked out well if there was a mediator of some sort. And that's what I see as my role in working with families. I don't come as someone who has knowledge, but I get the people to see their wisdom and find ways of making it work for them. So that, that is the knowledge of yourself and your reasons behind doing what you are doing. It, it's highly significant. And you don't have to have huge experience or terrible experience in life, but knowing what motivates you in what you are doing, it's highly significant, yeah. Thank you, Mumto. Besides this concept of cultural competency, what else do you think makes it possible for services to respond well to families from diverse cultural backgrounds? Yeah, cultural competence, it, it, it's one of them. But um, I think the organisational culture itself, it, it's, it's highly significant. For example, uh, if we have an organisation that looks at people from the human rights perspective, I think for that to be effective, it needs to be experienced within an organisation. The organisation has to own it and live it 
and strive to live it, I must say, because there's no situation where everything is perfect, but striving towards um, living the values that you aspire to share or, or deliver to the people that you are working with, yeah. I think that is highly significant, yeah. In our conversation today, you've put an emphasis, among other things, on um, being sure to ask the child or the family about things. Like, how important is this curious stance to you in your yes. work? It is important because when you come as a practitioner, you have this knowledge that you have, which is informed by education most often. However, I think learning from the young person is the key to support them better, because if you come with all the knowledge that you bring to the counseling room, it might be what you want, what you know, what you've learned as a practitioner, but not what the young person might be able to cope with. So building on what they know about themselves, it's kind of like when you build a house, you can't just come and put a brick in the air and hope that the, 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 the structure is gonna be solid. So building from what is there, it helps. Like for example, with one young person that I'm working with, he had nightmares that always waking him up. So I've worked with young people who have nightmares. But with this young person, I've learned that he had some strategies that he's using and also what informs the nightmares for him. So knowing what he does when the nightmares come up helped me to better support him because we started from what he was doing and acknowledge that the approach that he was taking was, for example, he would wake up and go straight to check if his parents were safe. So to me, that was a strength that we have to focus on and say, look, in as much as this situation is terrible, it looks like to me you have a heart for your family and that's a starting point. And then we go back as to how then you can best do this in a way that is supportive of your well-being in the end, instead of uh, focusing on thinking, oh, nightmares, when you have nightmares, thinking about breathing exercise and all that stuff. The breathing exercise and all the modalities that we can use to do that are, are significant, but they must be owned by the young person. So starting from what they know, it's highly significant, yeah. Great, thank you, Mto. Maybe we could um, have a conversation in future about some other aspects of your work. I think I'd really love to, to hear more. It's been really um, significant, yeah, for us to be hearing some about your, uh, your knowledge in this area. Yes, thank you to you too. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.